Hello and welcome to Meaningless Problems, the short story podcast with me, Doe Wilman. This week's episode is called Inside Voices and it's performed by Tamsin Dowsett. There are all sorts of reasons why people give up alcohol. For their religion. For their health. For their loved ones. But I can guarantee that even the most hardened teetotaler would be driven to drink if they were forced to watch my sister pouring Prosecco into plastic cups. First, okay, she works out who's having some. Seven out of nine of us. Then she divides 750 by seven. Then she uses a formula to calculate the volume of each plastic cup and the point to which she needs to pour. Seriously. Then she marks said point on each cup with a sharpie. And then she slowly makes her way round the circle twice, pouring a splash into each cup on her first loop before delicately bringing the liquid up to the line on her second. She does all of this despite the fact we have three more bottles and none of us are massive drinkers. And as she's doing it, as she's squatting like a crab and making her way around the circle, filling up the cups to the exact same point, she's telling us all, in minute detail, about the new shower she's had installed in her flat. Absolute game changer, she says. Finally, finished it last night. Can't wait to try it out. It looks exactly as I wanted. Such a palaver, but so glad it's done. Honestly, it's such a weight off my mind. Later today, I'll be telling the same group that I'm pregnant. And I'm absolutely bricking it for a hundred different reasons. Not least because the father, a Spanish dancer named Marcos, has only been in the picture about a week longer than the embryo. But the greatest fear of all is only now beginning to dawn on me. For the next six months, every time I'm around my family, I'm going to have to be sober. We've just finished the Fulham 10K, me and Tanya. That's why we're here, sitting in a circle next to Mum's bench in Ilbrook Common. The bench was a present for my Mum's 60th birthday, and she absolutely loves it. She tells me she comes and sits here at least twice a week. Tanya kept moaning, saying benches should only be for dead people, but I think parks should be filled with life. They should be dedicated to the people who use them. Besides... The bench along from this is for a dog, so I'm not the only one having a bit of fun. Life can be fun, you know, whatever Tanya might tell you. The Fulham 10K was my idea too. Everything family-related is always my idea. Ever since Grandad's diagnosis, I've been roping Tanya into doing things to raise money for Alzheimer's research. I was quite keen to do the London Marathon next year, but Marcos and his Iberian super-swimmers have had other ideas. There's homemade hummus, says Tanya, once she's finally filled everyone's plastic cup with the precise amount of warm Prosecco, and carrots and cucumber, gluten-free sandwiches, unsalted nuts. It's all stuff Lydia can eat. She smiles, and it looks like her mouth is being held open for a dental procedure. Still on the Lydia diet, are we? says Uncle Joel. No sugar, no spice, no things nice. Granny peers through her red hexagonal specks and tries to work out what a gluten-free sandwich is. And Mum, helping herself, says, if it ain't rotten or wriggling, it'll do for me. She is getting much better, Tanya says as she passes the food around. 
Last week she had a rub of garlic and there was no reaction at all, was there, Lydia? At this point, I half expect her to toss me a treat and ruffle my hair. In the distance, a group of topless blokes can't manage to string three throws of a Nerf ball together without it hitting the ground and bouncing into someone, whereupon they rush over, apologise profusely and throw it at someone else. I'm sure one of our group will fall victim before long. The group is me, my sister Tanya, mum, dad, granny and granddad, Uncle Joel, Marcos and my friend Rachel Conan. Rachel Conan is an actress. A very good one. I've just cast her in a one-woman play on the West End, where she plays a stressed-out surgeon who takes life very seriously. And that's why I brought her along today. She's here to analyse my sister and use her to build up a character. You can already tell Rachel Conan is making Tanya deeply uncomfortable. Tanya has a habit of staring into your eyes when she's talking to you. And when she pours Rachel Conan a cup of Prosecco, Rachel Conan stares right back at her while also mirroring the way she sucks on her bottom lip. I love being a casting director. Spotting the potential in others. Unlocking elements they didn't even know they had. If I were casting the rest of the family, hmm, well, let's see. For Mum, we'd need someone tough and northern, but with a real sense of vulnerability. Julie Walters, around the time she did Mamma Mia, probably. Dad, the modest, brow-beaten heart surgeon. Gangly. Intellectual. Shy. Maybe Hugh Laurie, but before he became cool. If he could soften his face just a touch and suck in his lips like a fish when he's nervous, he could play my dad perfectly. Granddad? I don't know. Ian McKellen played a pretty convincing version of an old Sherlock Holmes with dementia, so that could work. Granddad used to be the cleverest person I know and his eyes still look like he's trying to figure it all out. Granny's so glam and demure. She'd have to be Helen Mirren, who'd win another Oscar, capturing Granny's defiance in the face of her husband's deterioration. Uncle Joel would be maybe Omid Jalili or someone. Always upbeat, always making jokes. Always with that sense that he's hiding an inner turmoil. That's Joel, not Jalili. I'm sure Jalili's fine. Marcos? Well, there's this really fit Spanish actor, but I've forgotten his name. He's in that Netflix series called Valeria. If Marcos looked like him, I'd have got pregnant even quicker. Marcos is a sweetheart. He spent most of today on his phone, not talking to anyone, but he must be nervous, bless him. He's very funny and he has a rich inner world, probably. Tanya introduced us. He was staying with a friend and was only meant to be over for a few weeks. This was three and a half months ago. And I said he could stay with me on a temporary basis and now, well, talk about putting down roots. So then, says Uncle Joel, who won the race? I put a score on Lydia with Labbrooks at three to one. It wasn't a race, says Tanya, with stony seriousness. It was a run, a charity run. And there was no element of competition at all. It was simply about finishing, not about who finished first. Because it was a run, not a race. It was for charity. We weren't competing. We were simply trying to finish. So in a sense, we both won. Although, of course, winning wasn't the objective. Is that your way of saying you lost? Says Joel. I finished about a minute, maybe two or three, ahead of Lydia, she says. 
but it wasn't a race. It wasn't a race, says Rachel Conan, nailing my sister's voice to an absolute T. But Tanya did finish a minute, maybe two or three ahead of Lydia. Tanya nods and grinds her teeth into a smile. And Rachel Conan does exactly the same thing. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uncle Joel tells us how he used to run marathons. And Tanya says she wouldn't have it in her. Even though when I suggested it to her a few months ago, she said she was keen. Granny says Grandad used to be a good runner. And Grandad says, used to be? What do you mean, used to be? Dad, noticing Tanya is distracted, helps himself to the second bottle of Prosecco. Marcos, his English still probably not good enough to follow the conversation, is reading something on his phone. The conversation moves from running to the fact it rained for about five minutes during the run, to Tanya's insistence that it's going to rain again, even though the forecast is clear, to rain in general, to showers, and then we're back at Tanya's new shower again. Isn't it amazing, the things we spend our time talking about, while all the interesting stuff is off limits? Don't get me wrong. I love my family. I do. It's why I put so much effort into bringing us all together. I just wish we could express how we're feeling a bit more. Dad will always say or do whatever it takes to keep him out of trouble. Tanya always says she's fine, even when it's obvious she isn't. She got divorced a few years ago. It must have been awful, and we've never even spoken about it. Mum might say, Yorkshire, Yorkshire, no bloody nonsense. But she's just as bad. I work in theatre. I'm surrounded by feelings, but when I'm with my family, we put on an act. When I tell them I'm pregnant, I'm not scared of what they'll say, but what they won't. All the little comments they keep to themselves or whisper behind my back. A normal family would berate me for being so stupid. I'd then break down in tears and tell them I'm 36 years old and that Marcos seems like a good man, but even if he isn't, I'm more than capable of looking after a child on my own. And I've never, never been so happy about anything in my entire life. And we'd cry and we'd argue, but we'd come together and tell each other how much we love each other and it would all be okay. But in my family, I can guarantee 10 minutes after I've broken the news, we'll be back talking about Tanya's bloody shower. I tried to make eye contact with Marcos, but he's eating his sandwich while staring at his phone, making absolutely no effort with anyone, which is just wonderful. The Nerf ball whistles about a foot above his head and he doesn't even notice. I'm about to ask the bloke who threw it if he can try and hit him in the face next time when I see an enormous man with a huge black beard crouching beside my sister. Got any change? He says in a voice so rough you could light a match on it. Tanya says no without giving the rest of us a chance to answer. Hold on, I say. Maybe we do. I don't personally, but... Mum looks straight ahead. Uncle Joel pretends to check his pockets. Dad tops up his cup of Prosecco. Granny pouts her lips and shakes her head. Sorry, says Tanya. We're not going to give you any money. Collecting for the Salvation Army, says Grandad, handing him a ten pence piece. Have a shilling. The homeless man stalks off unimpressed, and Tanya proceeds to give us a big speech about why you shouldn't give money to homeless people. You can't help people if they're unwilling to help themselves. But he is, 
I say, and the words are out of my mouth before I've had the chance to process them. He's not lying around doing nothing. He's coming up to people and asking for help. Inside voices, says Tanya, even though quite clearly we're outside. Back when I lived in Brighton, says Uncle Joel, leaning forward to let us know we're about to hear something hilarious. I let this homeless chap into my flat. His fake laugh turns into a genuine cough. It was chucking it down and he was shivering. So I went to the kitchen to make him a cup of tea and... And he only went and pissed on my sofa. Tanya does a horrible squawky laugh, even though Joel has told us this almost certainly made up story about a hundred times. We're all God's children, says Granny. And then Rachel Conan does the exact same squawky laugh my sister just did and no one quite knows how to respond. I think I know that chap from the cricket club, says Grandad, which cuts the tension. I want to make the point that, even if one homeless person did, at one point in the distant reaches of the past, we on Uncle Joel's sofa, this does not, in any way, mean we shouldn't give other homeless people a bit of spare change. But as I open my mouth, Tanya cuts me off. Ooh, Lydia, we've got lentil crisps. Can you eat lentil crisps? In all seriousness, says Uncle Joel, are there specific types of food you can't eat? Or is it just the nice stuff? Well, says Tanya, whose eyes come alive as she starts reeling off all the various food types that give me trouble, growing more and more animated with each one. Just imagine how happy she's going to be when she finds out I'm pregnant and there's all the extra stuff I can't eat. Oh, for God's sake, I should probably look that up. And beans, she says. Can't eat any beans, though edamame beans tend to be okay. I'm about to interrupt her when I suddenly feel really sick. This is what my family do. They patronise me. They ignore everything I say. They treat me like a child. Even though, one, I'm 36. Two, I've got a good job and I'm bloody good at it. Three, oh God, I'm actually going to be sick. With great difficulty, I stand up and the whole of Ilbrook Common is spinning beneath my feet. I tell Tanya I need to pop to her flat to use the loo. Spicy salsa, she says. Quick says Uncle Joel. Hide your hamster. And everybody laughs. Even Rachel Conan, who has no idea why that's funny. Marcos doesn't laugh, but that's because Marcos is still on his bloody phone. Apparently, when Tanya and I were being potty trained, I pooed into a box of straw, unaware our hamster was in there, and Tanya cried for a week. And this is still how they see us today. She, sensible, sensitive, always does the right thing. Me, wild, zany. You never know what she'll do next. Just wait till I tell them I'm... God, breathe, Lydia, breathe. I ignore Joel and my mum as they exchange jokes at my expense. I ignore Dad, too, who's trying to give me a sympathetic smile. I just need to get to the bathroom. I put my hand out to get the key from Tanya, and she's struck by a sudden, devastating realisation. Her eyes widen, her mouth narrows, her shoulders shoot back. Please. Lydia, please, 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 please don't use the shower. I wasn't intending to, but this really is a new low. Why not? I say. You don't trust me not to ruin it. No, says Tanya, but it was only finished last night. I haven't used it myself yet and um... And as she's stumbling, Rachel Conan chimes in to help.
They finally finished it last night, she says. My friend's voice and facial expressions now completely indistinguishable from Tanya's. It looks exactly as Tanya wanted, an absolute game changer. And she wants to be the first one to try it out, Lydia. Nothing against you, nothing personal. Yes, says Tanya, looking confused but kind of delighted. Exactly. That's exactly right. Given how disgusting I am after the run, showering might not be the worst idea. My flat's several miles away, so I'll have to be sticky and sweaty until I get home. But it simply isn't worth the argument. Don't worry, I say. I won't use it. Inside voices, says Tanya. I lean against Mum's bench to stop myself from falling over. All the sweat from earlier is turning cold. I need to get out of here. But she still hasn't given me the key to her flat. Why? I ask, as the group blurs into one. Do you have to make everything such a big deal? Inside voices, she says, and I launch into a rage. We are outside! Only to realise it was Rachel Bloody Conan who said it. Marcos briefly looks up from his phone, but immediately looks back. I take a long, deep breath. Don't worry, love says Mum, holding her nose. We can barely smell ya. I'll tell you what, says Tanya. I think we'll all come back with you. Because you don't trust me to use the bathroom without your assistance. I can't keep arguing or I will throw up. I think it might rain, she says. But it's not going to rain. It feels like it is. Mm, it feels like it is, says the Rachel Conan Frankenstein's monster I've created. I've checked the app, I say. Look, 0% chance of precipitation. Yeah, but it feels like it is. 0% chance. Don't worry, Lydia. We'll wait here, says Mum. But leave the shower and the hamster well alone, I love. I let go of the bench and take a deep breath. I hear a whistling sound, and by the time I've worked out what it is, the Nerf ball has smacked me in the head and knocked me to the ground. Dad's helping me to my feet. Uncle Joel's got hold of the Nerf ball and is shouting at those topless pricks who were throwing it around. My mum and sister and Rachel Conan are fussing about me and bloody Marcos is on his bloody phone, no more aware of what's going on than Grandad. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? They all say. Yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you sure? Says mum. You don't sound it. No, actually mum. I'm not fine. I'm not fine at all. One... You all think I'm a laughingstock. Two, I'm having a baby with a man I barely even know. Three, I'm sweaty and disgusting and I feel sick. Four, it's the first time as an adult that I've been around you lot without a drink and I don't particularly care for it, to be perfectly honest. And five, I've just been hit in the head with a fucking Nerf ball and the father of my child hasn't even looked up from his phone. But of course, I don't say any of that. I just say, once again, using inside voices only, I'm fine. You know, says Tanya, if you really do want to use the shower, I don't even respond. I stagger across the common, through the alley and down to Tanya's street. My legs feel like oil drums and the top of my thighs are sticky with Vaseline. I do feel slightly less sick than I did, but I am now absolutely desperate for a wee. The door to her building has one of those annoying safety locks, where you have to turn it to the left and then right or right and then left. And when I finally open the door, a gruff voice behind me says, Oi, can I use your bog? 
It's the homeless man with a huge black beard. He must have followed me from the park. I'm about to tell him to piss off, but hearing my sister's voice in my head, I think, yeah, sure, why not? We walk up the stairs to Tanya's flat, and once I've let him in, he dives into the bathroom ahead of me. I hop around the flat, past the telly, into the kitchen, back out again. The sicky feeling is gone. Maybe it wasn't morning sickness. Maybe I just needed to be away from my family. But my bladder is about to burst. At one point, kneeling on the sofa and bouncing gently up and down, I briefly consider relieving myself there and then. At least that way, whenever Uncle Joel brings up his stupid story, I'll be able to say, yeah, well, I once let a homeless person into a flat and I pissed on the sofa. Everything is in perfect order. Throws and cushions in military formation on the sofa. Bowl of bananas, apples and grapes so ripe they look plastic. A bookshelf arranged alphabetically. Everything scrubbed, sprayed and vacuumed. The absence of dust is suffocating. The door to the flat slams shut. You're welcome, I shout after him. The bathroom smells eerily warm, like returning from holiday to find you've left the oven on. But with the instant relief of realising nothing has exploded, I find the toilet bowl perfectly clean. As I unleash my mini Niagara, I mentally scold Tanya and Uncle Joel for their suggestion that homeless people don't know how to use a toilet as well as the rest of us. As someone with a lifetime of toilet visits under her belt, I can attest that this afternoon's guest has been perfectly respectful. Warming, yes, but respectful. Once I'm done, I help myself to some grapes and realise they are plastic. When she lived with Lawrence, their house was nothing like this. His papers and books were everywhere, but her stuff was all over the place too. It's been four years and we haven't properly spoken about it. I don't know how we became so at each other's throats all the time. We used to get on so well. I start to feel sick again, but it's not morning sickness. It's the other kind of sick. It's the how am I meant to do this sick. It's the what if they disown me sick. Or laugh at me sick. Or what if Marcos does run off sick. Or turns out to be a complete and utter prick sick. It's the how can I remove any additional foods from my diet sick without starving to death sick. It's the I want to fucking scream sick. The flat door crashes open and a soaking wet Tanya emerges, ushering the others after her like she's giving directions to the escape vessel in a leaking submarine. Rachel Conan's at the back of the party, giving the exact same commands. They start handing out towels and mugs of tea, while emitting an endless barrage of noise about how Tanya knew it was going to rain because she had this feeling and whenever she gets this feeling it's normally always right. Then she grabs a towel and says to me very quietly, you didn't use the... No, I didn't use your fucking shower. Inside voices, Lydia. We're outside. I immediately realise we're not, but still. I tell you what, she says. You can use it straight after me. Sorry for being precious. I just wanted to be the first one to use it. But as soon as I'm done, go for it. Yeah, thanks, I say. But I think I'll be okay. It looks lovely, though. That's a lie. I didn't even look at it because I don't care. She nods and scuttles off to the bathroom. I sit down next to Grandad. Everyone's looking at me and no one's talking. 
my stomach feels like it's about to start stabbing itself from the inside. This would, of course, be the perfect time for my IBS to start playing up. It's a shower, I say. It's a shower. How can anyone get so worked up about a bloody shower? Mum looks at me and rolls her eyes, as though we're both sharing an in-joke about someone else, even though the person she's rolling her eyes about is me. Uncle Joel tries to think of a joke, but he can't quite manage it. Granny's fake smile reminds me where Tanya got hers. Dad pours himself another cup of Prosecco. Granddad's fallen fast asleep. Marcos is on his phone, just as he will be in the delivery room if he even bothers to show up. Rachel Conan stretches out her neck and says, it's an absolute game changer. And I sink into the sofa and try to disappear. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care what any of them think of me. I don't care how much they judge me for Marcos. I don't care if he runs off back to Spain. I don't care. I'm not the crazy, zany, temperamental person they all think I am. I'm a bloody good casting director and I'm going to be a bloody good mum. When Tanya's done in the shower, I'm going to tell them I'm pregnant. And I don't care. I don't care. I do not care what they think of me. I place my hands on my stomach. Take a deep breath and feel myself beginning to calm down. And then Tanya lets out the most abominable scream. We rush down the corridor to find her standing by the bathroom, clutching her collarbone with one hand and supporting her towel with the other. She looks as though she's just been evacuated from a detonating nuclear reactor. Lydia has. She has. She has, well... She, she obviously wasn't happy at not being allowed to use the shower, even though I was only trying to protect it because it was brand new and I wanted to be the first one to use it, but maybe I was just being silly and I should have let her use it, but at least we would have been able to discuss it because I was just trying to protect it and look after it and we could have just had a conversation, but instead she's... she's... We squeeze past her into the bathroom and it's only then, once we've seen the physical proof of the scene she's trying to depict that she feels sufficiently prepared to let the words out. Lydia has taken a shit in the shower. She rushes past us and into her bedroom. Mum looks at me blankly and rushes after her. Uncle Joel and Granny, who have just now reached the bathroom and inspected the scene, look at me with genuine concern. Rachel Conan's dropped all pretense of being my sister. Her look of disgust is entirely her own. Marcos finally awoken from his iPhone-induced haze, is starting to regret his recent life choices. Dad, still holding the Prosecco, drinks directly from the bottle. The warm smell is, if anything, more apparent than when I first entered the bathroom mere moments after the homeless man had delivered it into this world. And, as I peer through the shower pane and assess the thing, with its shape, solidity and purpose, Noting that it is undoubtedly the product of a well-functioning digestive system, I must admit I feel not a small amount of envy. You know, I think I'll wait until next week to tell them about the baby. That was Inside Voices, written by Doe Wilman, performed by Tamsin Dowsett. Thanks ever so much to Tamsin for that wonderful performance and thank you as ever for listening. If you also listened to last week's episode number 33, A Bench in West London, you'll notice there were some 
well, pretty obvious overlaps with this week's episode. And there are connections between many of the episodes, some of which are much less obvious than the ones in this one and the previous one. So I would invite you to go back and listen to all the episodes and try and spot some more. Uh, but if you can't do that, then just uh, just tell your friends and, and keep listening and come back here next week for another Meaningless Problem. Thank you.